0: Hi, welcome back to People of Purpose. I'm your host, Tanner Badgley, and this week, we will be wrapping up our conversation on the power of CEO peer advisory groups and how it can make a difference in your organization. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I highly encourage checking that out. Some of the things we covered are what makes helping teams develop feel purposeful for him, utilizing peer groups to help define what was possible and maximize effectiveness. Leo also shared the role of peer groups in establishing a unified collective purpose and elevating The sense of purpose, and how his concepts apply to being an entrepreneur versus working in in an organization. And lastly, he talks about how they identify talents in an interview process and put them together in a strategic way. And in this episode, we will be covering what is psychological safety and its role in peer groups, how he simultaneously deals with being an entrepreneur and being a facilitator of peer group transformations, the bigger vision for his future, and his best advice for someone in their 20s around how to seek find, and fulfill their purpose. Last but not least, the value of mentorship and uplifting your sense of purpose. Well, let's dive in. Here's to becoming people of purpose. What is it? What about how does psychological safety, uh, like what is that and how does it play a role in, in peer groups?
1: So, so if you think about where, where it comes from, right? So, So obviously, Amy Edmondson from Harvard Business School has done so much to develop this concept of psychological safety. I think it really became um, a greater, more common part of the business lexicon when Google identified it uh, in its Project Aristotle as essential to high-performing teams. When Google went into that study, they actually believed that having the right people and having the best people was going to be by far the number one Factor in a high performing team. What they learned, however, was that psychological safety was that the idea of people who can speak up and speak out and willing to learn and grow and make mistakes was by far more important. And if we think about it, any movie we've seen, any sports situation we've seen, or whatever, where somehow the team with the better players loses to the team who just works together more effectively, you know, that's really what we're talking about here. So, um, I think there's no question it's essential to have the very best players. And again, Gino Rory will tell you, he laughed one time. He said he was being criticized for the fact that, you know, he said, the only time you ever win championships is when you have really good players. And he says, well, of course, <laughs> he doesn't apologize for that. Of course you need, you know, people out on the floor um, to do their job and all that. But getting them to work together as a team uh, is quite another thing. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, college basketball teams around the country have access to really great players whether people consistently can get them to work together in a way that sets a standard of excellence uh that has transcended the sport which is basically what he's done with women college basketball right. uh, and it's what has been happening you know uh over time as well right so um yeah so that's
0: kind of how that rolls yeah for sure now, i've been i've been watching the nba playoffs this year have you been watching any of that at all i haven't really and i wish i could
1: you know i'm a celtics fan so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to get excited about the milwaukee bucks and Phoenix <laughs> Suns. but no I, I i i'm sure it's great for their right. fans so it's well, one
0: good. thing that uh that the announcers were talking about was uh chris paul and his leadership chris paul's been in the nba 16 years Um, This is the first time he's made an NBA finals and he's consistently been, you know, one of the top 10, 15 players in the league his whole career. Um, But what's happened recently is he's joined this Phoenix Suns team when they were terrible. They were worst five, 10 teams in the league for years and years and years. And he assembled um, a group of core people that he held accountable and held to a high standard and became like a part of the team. And they would, now they have this culture where they don't have any superstar players but everyone's elevated because of the team factor. And now they're they're probably gonna win the NBA finals. And it's really interesting to kind of see how that can take shape because a leader says like, we're all gonna do this together. I'm not gonna just be out there scoring all the points. It's, it's here's your role, here's my role, here's how we can piece this together. And it seems like the announcers and with ESPN and stuff have such a great respect for Chris Paul because he, he gets that as a leader on the floor.
1: It's a great example of the difference between, you know, you can be a leader of the team, kind of in that formal way, but you can also be a leader in your team. Um, and Chris Paul, you know, being a leader in his team, you know, we we just saw uh, Tampa Bay was nowhere close, basically, to winning a Super yeah. Bowl until, you know, very recently. And it was one player. And part of the real message of the book, Peer Innovation, too, is the power of we begins with me. Right, it begins with each of us, it begins and with the recognition of how much I matter, and recognizing and owning the importance and value of the contribution you're making to a team to fulfill whatever purpose mm-hmm. uh, you're there for. And so, yes, one person can make a difference, it takes a whole team to get it done, but that one person can elevate everyone else. You know, they always talk about the kind of players, whether you look at a Jordan or you look at Larry Bird or people like that, they made everyone else around them better. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that they were good players. They had this ability to elevate everyone else, right? They modeled such incredible practices that it made everyone work harder. You know, when Larry Bird, for example, was the first one to practice and the last one to leave, and he's the best player on the team it kind of got, all right, maybe I need to be putting a little more work in here. Maybe I need to be kind of as committed and dedicated and doing those little extra small things, that attention to detail, that commitment to a different standard of excellence um, and a higher standard of excellence. And once uh, everyone does that for one another, uh, it can become infectious. And now you've got a team that, that believes in itself, right? It's, um, you know, uh, I wrote an article a number of months ago kind of recounting this whole situation with the, you know, Boston Red Sox still are the only team to ever come back from three down in a series in Major League Baseball. Um, and they win the American League Championship against the Yankees. They lost game three, like 19 to three, I think it was, was the score. And then they go in four straight, you know, two at Fenway and two mm-hmm. at Yankee Stadium. And, um It was a team that started to, you know, when you put that much work and that much effort into spring training, 162 game season, all the playoffs, this is, you know, most teams in that situation aren't going to roll over and just say, well, I guess we'll wait till next year. It's like, no, 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 (laughs) you know, we have to win just the next game and then we have to just win the next one and then they're confronted with all this stuff about, hey, no one in Major League Baseball has ever done it. And they're like, well, why not us? Why? Let's be the first then. Let's kind of do that. And when you get that kind of collective belief, magic happens. And if you look at that particular series, you know, with one of the games, I think went 12, the other one went 14 innings. Uh, the Sox pulled it out in, in the two games in a row with, you know, with what, David Ortiz basically carrying the team on his back uh, for a lot of those games. It was extraordinary. And I think um, – and sometimes, by the way, it's not always the superstar player that may be carrying the team on his back. Um, I think when – if you look at the NBA finals in 81, I realize we're using a lot of sports metaphors here. But uh, Cedric Maxwell, I think, was the most valuable player um, of uh, Game 7 in, in, or however it went in that series. They played Houston. I think it was Game 6 or something. Um, but, yeah, it was Cedric Maxwell that was the MVP. So it it just kind of depends. Um, And it's, uh, I think, really extraordinary. And and I think something that should serve as a reminder to us as we're on a team that maybe it'll be someone else's role today to be that leader in the team. But maybe tomorrow I need to be the leader in the team because... um, something touches on the specialty area that is unique to the gifts I can bring to the team or whatever it happens to be, or that I have an attitude or an experience or something that can inspire the team to believe um, that we are capable of more. And, you know, I think every one of us has a potential to play that role. Yeah, for sure.
0: So when you are when you have taken the torch of leadership in your organization and you see what changes need to take place to get this culture during that integration phase where you're kind of changing the face or the brand or the culture within the organization, how do you how do you deal with the need for like short term, like in the short term, you still need to generate profits. You still need to have the business operations going, but you're transforming so many pieces simultaneously. How does that transition Um, go best in organizations?
1: Yeah, well, let's say, you know, let's face it. Oftentimes you need the financial resources to finance your ability to grow and be better. So you always have to pay attention to those things. Um, The other thing, too, is that uh, it's not about, you know, it's like they say, well, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And I, I think you've got to look at how do we go about this in a way that gives us these short-term wins that allows us to celebrate, that allows us to, um, you know, show results in the near term while we know we are building toward the longer term. And I think that becomes essential. Uh, One of the um, stories that, you know, I've told in one of the books was um, having my daughters and I climb a mountain in Colorado. They were young. They were you know, 12 or 13 or something like that. And we've got this 12,800 foot peak and they want to climb it. And I talked to them about what would be necessary to do it. And they prepared for a few weeks and they did their thing and, and they were physically able to do it. No question. But Anyone who's ever done that knows the mental challenge of it, right? Right. Because you get up in that mountain and you get above the tree line and you start looking at the peak. And then what you do is you climb for a while and you look at the peak again. You climb for a while more and you keep looking at that peak, right? It's this idea of keeping your eye on the prize, which can be incredibly bad advice, by the way. So finally, they realize it becomes debilitating because every time you look at that peak, it appears no closer than (laughs) you looked at it 20 minutes earlier. I mean, it's really like, man, like, are we ever getting there? This is just terrible. So they get to a point where they start telling me, like, hey, the view looks pretty good from here. Um, Or I talk to them about making sure that we've got to be mindful of weather. You know, when you're on a mountain in the summertime, you don't want to be on a big rock in the middle of a thunderstorm. So and there was was this like little you know, puffy white cloud up there. And my daughter says, dad, is that, we're going to be worried about that weather? I said, no, I think we're okay. So I can, I can clearly tell they're like right at the end and they're looking at me and they're exhausted. And they said, we think we're done. This has been great. And, and I said, Well will tell you what, why don't we climb for 10 more minutes? And, uh, and then at the end of 10 minutes, if you guys are done, we're done. And they're like, all right, fine. They humored me basically. But I said, tell you what, here's where we are. There was this big bush that was right here. And so we climbed for our 10 minutes and 10 minutes to the second, they're like, all right, 10 minutes. We gave you 10 minutes is up. Look. And they look at the peak. They say, it's no closer than it was 10 minutes ago. I said, look behind you. And they looked at that bush and it was a dot on that landscape down the mountain. And they couldn't believe the progress they made. And because of it, they were like, wow. Okay. Well, you know, we can keep doing this. We can do this for another 10 minutes, and another 10 minutes. And as they did, You know, they were celebrating the victories along the way as Mm -hmm. opposed to being so fixated on this peak that never seemed to be getting any closer. Um, And you find that, you know, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you will get there. But I think to deal both with the physical and emotional, you know, drama, trauma, whatever you want to use for a word that we all kind of suffer through to do that, we need uh, some mechanism, we need some ability to be able to celebrate along the way and feel good about what we're doing and mark those small wins. And I think once we do that, um, that can be hugely helpful to achieving any longer term goal.
0: So is that kind of like creating a space for, for gratitude or for talking about the good news of, of the past week? Is that, is that mostly what that looks like? Yeah, I, I, there's no question. I, I think um, companies
1: pretty much don't celebrate enough Um, they don't, if you look at the five exemplary practices of leadership by Kuzis and Posner, right? One of them is encouraging the heart. Um, they do a self-assessment. They do a whole 360 assessment about how you, um, score against each of those practice areas. And my recollection of it was that encouraging the heart is for most people where they score the lowest. Um, They're really good at challenging the process. They're really good at, at, you know, inspiring a shared vision or uh, enabling others to act, Um, you know, but they're not always really good about taking the time to publicly recognize how important it is to encourage people's hearts. And I think once leaders can tap into the power of that and and the understanding around that, It just helps. It helps unify teams. It helps them be more successful. It helps with a lot of things. You know, another metaphor for this that um, was helpful is one of the things I was taught uh, is if you're a runner and you're running long distance and all of a sudden it's one of those days where you're just not feeling up to it and it's a ballpark, we'll say it's a 10 mile run. So at eight miles, you're feeling like, all right, the only way I'm going to get through the last two miles here is to kind of walk and run and just get me through it and be done. So your choice of doing that is either you're going to run till you can't run anymore and then stop and walk for a while, and then all of a sudden you start running again and you run until you can't run anymore and then you walk for a while, which what happens, right? Every time I stop, it's just a repeated defeat, essentially, right? So then you get at the end of the 10 miles, and even if you finished it, you're feeling crappy about it, and it certainly doesn't help your confidence the next day. However, what if you said, I am going to run to that stop sign or that tree, and when I get there, I'm going to declare victory. And then I'm going to walk for a little while. And as soon as I'm ready to kind of run again, I'm going to mark another spot and I'm going to run to it and I'm going to declare victory again. The difference mentally between those repeated defeats and those wins one after another to get you through those last two miles Mm -hmm. is night and day. So how we as leaders frame things for our team and kind of help them, um, you know, through uh, things like that, because we're not always having a great day every single day, you know, (laughs) so uh i think it's really important for leaders to be attuned to that Mm -hmm. and for every team member to be attuned to it and that's how we lift each other up right
0: how do you get attuned to it individually like what do you what do you have in place in your day to allow you to kind of put your oxygen mask on first or, or like feed your feed your own self um in order to be able to be this kind of leader
1: Um, So usually for me, um, and I'm very lucky in that I have the flexibility to do this being, you know, uh, what I do, but there are days where I could, so so let's say I have an article I know I need to write or something I need to finish or something I need to do, and I'm just not, I'm just not feeling it, you know, Um, so I don't want to not do anything. So what I do is I seek out other things that are productive yet represent outlets for me that give me energy. Right? It could be um, connecting with people on some things that I want to do that day. It could be going on Canva, for example, and creating uh, infographics or doing things that just give me some fun. You know, thing that gives me a little energy, that gives me a little spark, so that by the time I've got to do this other thing that I've been loath to do. Uh, I'm, I'm in a better headspace to be able to do that and recognize that, uh, that and, and recognizing by the way too, from a productivity standpoint, if I try to force myself to do something when I'm not in the headspace to do it, it will, won't be as good and it will take me twice as long. If I take that time and do other things with that time that are productive, by the time I get to the activity and I'm ready for that activity, I will do it twice as fast and it will be twice as good. So that's a little bit of how I kind of mentally yeah. do that juggle, you know, <laughs> but we all do. And and it's not it's not hard to tap into. You either feel like it or you don't. You know, it's just uh, there's just days where uh, you wake up. And by the way, uh, again, as I kind of opened the show here, uh, I feel amazingly great about what I get to do every day. And I'm energized by it all the time. However, there are different activities and different requirements around uh, fulfilling that purpose. And so I have to just kind of manage my time and manage my energy around trying to be
0: really productive um, when the time is right. Mm -hmm. Right. What is like your bigger vision for where all this is going? Like, do you ultimately want to be Retired or is that not like a concept that's interesting to you? what where does this you know where does this go? Like um So the traditional notion of retirement, like this
1: idea of like I'm just you just hang it up and you go fishing or play golf or something <laughs> like that, and don't do anything else, is not really what I'm into doing, especially where I found something that I enjoy so much. And and so when when I think about this and again, getting back to, I think, the focus of your show, which is about purpose. It's really not about me at all. Um, my my focus is how can I bring what I have come to understand to be so incredibly effective and put it in the hands of more people, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. Um, I'm very lucky uh, I'm working in the next three weeks, next two to three weeks, uh, peer innovation will be released in China, for example. You know, um, through Win Mastermind, uh, I've gotten a lot of traction, you know, in Europe, and we're going to be looking, you know, I I led a group meeting in Australia uh, a couple of months ago. There's things that are happening, you know, all over the world in all kinds of sectors that, you know, give me hope that in a world that on one hand, people regard as being incredibly divisive, at least politically. I think we also have to recognize that the pandemic also helped us tap into our shared humanity uh, quite a bit as well, and that we've gotten to recognize some of the shared challenges we have. And we've gotten to know one another, not just as fellow employees, but as fellow human beings. And that's done a lot to make us more understanding, more empathetic, more cooperative, and as a result, more collaborative, which is why productivity is up, you know, for a lot of organizations as a result of that. It's kind of ironic that, you know, to bring our employees closer together, we had to pull them out of the office. But I think in, in many respects that played out uh, in a lot of different uh, organizations. And so, um, so for me, that purpose of being able to get people to think in terms of not scarcity, but abundance, and recognizing that uh, the power of we does begin with me, and that we are capable of more than we could possibly imagine, if we just, you know, believe in one another and stay committed to uh, our our purpose,
0: I think the potential is enormous. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess I want to just talk more about kind of general wisdom as we as we like head out of the kind of the, the last part of the show. <laughs> general wisdom. All right.
1: We'll see what we can do. Yeah,
0: Wisdom related to purpose. Um, mm, I have a list of questions I'm scanning right now that I, I always like to ask. What if, if you're talking to someone kind of, I think a lot of my audience is um, similar age to me. They're in their twenties. It seems like they have a, a knowingness that they have an individual purpose. They're doing things to fulfill it. They don't know how that manifests in their life in different ways. What's the best advice that you would give someone in their 20s um, around um, how to kind of like seek, find, fulfill their purpose? That's a great question.
1: Um, So first of all, uh, and and it's very funny you mentioned this, it's actually part of an article um, that I just literally put into CEO World today. And it's basically, um, you know, looking at the back half and it's called don't play small ball Mm -hmm. and you know it's this idea of laura goodrich actually came up with this um in a book she wrote a while back called seeing red cars and she said when you ask most people what they want most people will ask will answer the question well what i don't want is such and such they won't like, they want to say what they want. Robert Fritz, who is a management consultant, would explain this as, as this idea that people tend to feel one of two things, and sometimes both. They feel powerless or they feel unworthy. And so when it comes to listeners to this podcast who really, you know, want to fulfill a purpose in life or whatever that is. Um, you are not powerless and you are not unworthy. So the moment you can shed those two things and speak out loud about what it is uh, you want for yourself in this world, and then you can enlist the support of others to make that possible. uh, That's a really great first step. Um, I also think that life is not, you know, it's not like we set up here's our strategic plan for life, you know, with like, here, here's what the grand picture is, and we're just going to, here's our way we're going to go about that. I think it's a rather iterative process. It's a, it's a journey we're constantly exploring and discovering and recognizing that, you know, I can make a choice today, and that doesn't mean it's a life forever choice. It's just what I'm doing right now, and that's okay. You know, I, I think that um, constantly being open, Constantly looking and exploring because sometimes it can take us a while to find our purpose. Some people don't find it for a very long time. Um, when I think about the purpose that I have right now, it wasn't on my radar 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, but it's central mm-hmm. to what I'm doing at the moment. And it's because I remained open to learning and growing and all of a sudden discovering something that connected with me so viscerally that. Uh, it's like, okay, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. And so I think be patient. That's another thing to advice to anyone in their twenties. Being patient is okay. You don't have to find out tomorrow what your purpose in life is. Um, and you're going to find that things will change over time
0: and that's okay too. Right. What's something important that you had to kind of unlearn or undo to really find alignment with your sense of purpose?
1: I would say when I was in uh, graduate school and I had to be part of a learning team, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a model learning team member. I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to work and play well with others in that environment. Uh, And uh, I had a lot of really good, uh, you know, fellow students who were patient and were helpful in in helping me get there. And, but those were invaluable lessons uh, that, Uh, I think that, you know, I've been able to take with me going forward. So yeah,
0: I had to unlearn some of that. Right. Um, Do you have a a mentor or someone that, um, that really impacted your journey and how, how do you suggest people go about finding mentors that can uplift their sense of purpose?
1: Yeah. um, I've had a lot of mentors. Um, And what's interesting is, you know, we, we, Chatted a earlier about the second book, What Anyone Can Do. That was actually written because I did a podcast in 2017 called The Year of the Peer. And it was named that because uh, this guy, Randy Cantrell, a great guy who I continue to work with on our podcast, he's the co-host of the podcast Peer Innovation um, today, mm-hmm. was trying to get me into trying to do a podcasting. And I thought, well, at least I want to give myself an exit strategy, right? So we're just going to do The Year of the Peer. And at the end of the year, we can just kind of figure out where we do from there, but at least it can be kind of done and buttoned up, right? But the point of The Year of the Peer was we interviewed 50 really successful people. And we asked them, every one of them, among other things, but we asked them the question, hey, did you get where you are today all by yourself? And they all laughed at the idea of that. This is ridiculous, right? They, and again, it wasn't just one mentor, two mentors, it was countless people mm-hmm. that they came across in their life, sometimes longer term relationships, sometimes short, but it all contributed to it. And even though they will never be able to pay those people back, what they try to do, and I think what we all try to do is how do we pay it forward? How do we help other people that... So I would say, don't be afraid to ask. When we ask for help, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a true act of resourcefulness. Um, So if you're in your 20s and you're looking to learn about certain areas or try certain things or whatever it may be that you're trying to learn, you'd be amazed at if you just ask for help. A lot of people would be very excited to give it to you because they remember back when they were that age and they were asking the help of others and someone stepped up and did that for them. So I think that's really helpful.
0: Right. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's that's really wonderful how you, you shared that, that no one gets where they are themselves and they have lots of mentors and you don't need to feel like you're in this direct debt to someone like you're probably never going to be able to pay back the mentor, what they gave to you, but you can pass it forward and be someone else's mentor. Absolutely. Uh, It's a big part of leadership. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Before we conclude, I just wanted to give you a chance to kind of uh, share how people can get, um, you know, in in touch with your work more. You know, what is, what is your deepest intention for being on this podcast interview and how can our audience help you and how can what you do serve our audience? What's the next steps that people can take?
1: Yeah, I think it's been a great opportunity, and I really appreciate it, um, Tanner, the, the opportunity to kind of extend the reach of the message about the importance of surrounding ourselves with really great people, whether that's informally among our our friends and colleagues and, and family members and all, or to be part of a, a peer group and recognize that as a contributing member of a team, that you really matter. Um, I do a lot of work with peer groups, helping them um, really squeeze the most valuable possible value possible out of their peer group experience and I also work with teams to basically take what peer advisory groups do so brilliantly and help them apply them to teams in their organization. So oftentimes we'll work with cross-functional work teams uh, in the c-suite and then work with um, you know organizational teams uh, inside the, the company and it's it's a lot of fun but people can connect with me on LinkedIn certainly um, they can go to uh, leobotari.com. LeoBottary.com. You can also go to peerinnovation.co, Uh Takes you to the same spot, and you can learn a lot about um, my work. There's, I mean, like hundreds of articles and podcasts and everything. It's a pretty content-rich site, and it's all there for you for free to use in whatever way you like. But if I can be ever um, ever be helpful to you or your organization, you should feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome, great, thank you. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, and um, we're here to help you in any ways possible too. If you want to connect with certain folks, uh, I interview people of purpose, you know, every month, and it's uh, it's a really beautiful role, as you understand, to be in the podcast seat and um, kind of see where people really shine and how people can connect together. So, if there's something you want to do with 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 us or any of your, any of our guests, feel free to reach out as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as we, as we sign off, is there any kind of a thing that we didn't talk about that you want to share or any final thought to kind of leave the audience with?
1: No, I think that, um, you know, again, there's a woman who I, I love her work. Her name is Angela Myers, and she does a lot of work with kids. Um, and she's it's a not for profit called choose to matter. And it's this idea That whether we're kids, whether we're, you know, in our 20s, whether we're the CEO or whatever, um, it's to really understand and recognize how much I matter and to kind of own your genius, uh, recognize what your special gifts are, try to build on those gifts and try to make sure that uh, you're using those gifts to make a difference in the world. And I think if you can, uh, you know, do that, um, I think the world's going to be a better
0: place. I love it. I can't agree more. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Leo. Uh, it's been wonderful to kind of, uh, yeah, understand your message at a deeper level and put some tangible ideas to it. I'm, I'm extremely excited to see how this takes shape in, in our, in our company now that I have this, this knowledge and this wisdom and you in my, in my network now. Um, and then I'm excited for all the people that you're, you're going to connect with, whether it's through people of purpose or, you know, in, out there, um, in the world to, people that find you. I think that you can definitely have an impact um, in organizations um, and yeah, you, you really grasp something that's essential to it, to what it takes to be a good leader and to form powerful teams. I thank you for sharing that today. Hey, well, thank you for having me on the show. It was terrific, Tanner. Thank you. Thank you. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question? Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices as well as receive daily inspiration, Follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it doing so will not only help us to grow but will also allow your voice to be heard and who knows who you could inspire cheers and here's to becoming